I like some virgin blood. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. We are glad you have managed not to get sick of us quite yet. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. My name is Chris and I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. Now this week, I'm joined by the Superfly Space Guy Mac. Hola muchachos. The Gore Lover Alexis. Hey everyone. The Cowardly Creeper Ryan. Hiya. And the Scream Queen Paris. Hey sweets. Now this week we are reviewing the sequel to a film that we originally covered back in 2018, around the time that Alexis joined us for the very first time. But before we dig into that 90s goodness though, we do have some follow-up to get to. Oh yeah, let's take a minute to give a shout out to one of our favorite listeners and fellow podcaster, Heather from Nature vs. Narcissism. She actually sent us a lovely care package recently with a lot of wonderful goodies for our team, uh, and we really appreciate her support. So go ahead and check out her podcast if you have the time. We're definitely a better podcast with supporters like Heather on our side. Also, you guys, let's talk about bingo. By now, we're three quarters of the way into the bingo month because we only came up with this idea after recording the first two April episodes. Well, hey. But you guys can definitely keep an ear out in this episode for different little moments that we're probably inevitably going to do intentionally or otherwise to check off your bingo sheet. Quite frankly, you probably have your entire sheet filled by now. We'll see. We'll see. That's definitely possible. (laughs) Not the universal slash, I don't think. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, maybe not. I guess we'll see how it goes. That's the unicorn. Tonight might be it. I have a feeling. We do have a solid lineup this month, so we're bound to at least record a Universal Slash. Don't know if it's going to get published, though, so we'll see. This week, we're taking a look back uh, to the peak of the horror resurgence back in the late 90s. In episode 24, we actually covered the 1996 film Scream. That was directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. And Scream put horror back on the map. It brought in Drew Barrymore, and Drew Barrymore's involvement lent the horror genre a level of credibility that helped get more actors on board with actually participating in horror films. And this week, we're talking about Scream 2, and while Scream may have put horror back on the map, Scream 2 sought to revitalize sequels and really address uh, some of the long-standing tropes and cliches found in them during that time. Before we get into Scream 2, who'd seen Scream before? Alexis, I know you're here on the show, but had everybody here seen it? Oh, yeah. Indeed. I had seen it. I had to rewatch it, though, because I had forgotten some stuff. And you also never realize how much you mix up with a scary movie as well, unfortunately. (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) I've seen Scream before, for sure. It's one of my top 10 favorite horror movies of all time. So I've seen it dozens of times. I actually haven't seen the second one, though. So it was interesting to kind of go back to that world with new content. So just to be clear, would Scream have been a universal slash from all three of you? Yes, for sure. It's a classic. Um, yeah. Yep. I'm concerned about that uh, moment to think, Ryan. <laughs> I had to think about it for a second, but I mean, I'm sure I'll get to talk about this more, but like Scream just has this place in my heart and I don't, well, I don't know. I think it's because my brother dressed up as him a lot for Halloween. I have this super soft spot. So sometimes I have to like check myself and make sure I'm uh, making a good decision. But yeah, slash for sure for the original Scream. Okay. All right. So we're starting off on equal ground then. We can pretend that Scream would have been a universal slash. I remember Alexis enjoyed it quite thoroughly. 
Paris, I know you hadn't seen Scream 2 before, but what about the rest of you guys? Oh, that's awesome. I like some virgin blood. <laughs> Kinky. Yeah, I think I, I've actually seen them all, but it's been a while since I've seen this one because I think I always start, I'm one of those people like, I'm like, you know, I really want to watch the third of something, like the third installment, but I started all the way from the beginning again. Same with all the Harry Potters, same with Saw, same with anything. I just, I'm like, you know what? Start it all so I can say I've seen the first many times of many series. Classic Alexis. <laughs> but the last one, like Harry Potter, I've only seen it like once or twice. <laughs> so I could not decide if I've seen this movie or not. And I'm pretty sure that it has to do with the same thing that Mac just said is that I mix everything up with scary movie. And... um also, if we're going to be blatant here and honest, this movie has a lot of similar concepts as the first one. So like trying to figure out if I had seen it, I still don't know. So I'm going to go with no. I'm going to say this is my first time watching it. Interesting. I mean, I have yeah, no idea. it's all similar because it's all from the same franchise, but I feel like it was so different enough. Uh, yeah. Is it? I don't know. I'm not saying it's the same movie. I'm just saying I can't figure out. I can't discern it. There's so many movies involving this one monster. <laughs> I can't figure out what's happening. It's just a lot. You know, it's a lot. I'm going with no, I'd never seen Scream 2. I'll be on that same boat as you, Ryan, because I actually have never, until today, had never seen any of the Scream sequels, only the first one. Wow. It just never, none of it really ever floated my boat back then. But Scream floated your boat. Damn. Scream was good. Yeah. But like I I saw it and I was like, all right, I'm good. You got your fill. And then less than a year later, you're like, no, 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 I've had enough. I'm not going to watch the sequel that is now out. <laughs> it's hard not to agree with these characters. Sequels are <laughs> often inferior. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, even though I had not seen the second one, I have seen the fourth one and it's really, really good. So Mac, I don't, I haven't seen the third, but definitely check out the fourth one. <laughs> Keep going. What happened there? How did you go from one to four? I felt like the first one was so good that the second one couldn't possibly top it. And then the third one wasn't even on my radar. And then the fourth one had Emma Roberts in it, which was definitely on my radar. And I heard a lot of good things about it from the gays. So I watched it and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Same, except Hayden Panettiere. Oh. <laughs> Fun fact, Hayden Panettiere's hair has never looked good. I disagree. It does look really dry. Scream 4. She looked great in Scream 4. <laughs> Scream 2 is something that I absolutely saw. These movies came out while I was living in Texas and I was a young child. And I said this back in the Scream episode. Scream was particularly frightening for me because of the element of, uh, you know, Casey Becker's house kind of being out in the middle of nowhere. And we watched this movie. Uh, we watched the first one on our couch with our couch facing the sliding glass door in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it is scared the crap out of me as a kid. So I definitely watched the sequel uh, and I enjoyed the sequel at the time. So I was what, like seven, eight years old watching it now. I was able to look at it from a completely different lens in a very interesting way. But how did you guys feel while you were watching it? This is one day removed from me watching scream the first one again. <laughs> so it, it, Definitely felt like I was carrying along the story. And as sequels go, I feel like it was a pretty fitting sequel. It didn't seem completely out of place, and it kind of picked up chronologically, I feel like, in an intelligent you know, way. So I actually enjoyed the watch. Yeah, I have to agree. This is like the kind of, like... <sighs> kind of silliness in a scary movie that I like. It's not like over the top, but and I'm obsessed with the meta of Scream. <laughs> There's no right way to say that sentence, but like in the beginning, they're watching a movie of a scary movie 
I'm watching a scary movie of a scary movie and there's going to be nudity in that scary movie within the first five minutes. And those things makes me happy. It just makes me feel like I'm I'm deep in something here. So Scream is always <laughs> fun to me. I definitely thought of you, Ryan, when Jada Pinkett commented on that girl getting naked. Yeah, but we didn't get the boobs. For me, this movie actually gave me like some warm fuzzies in the nostalgia part of my brain when I was watching the beginning part. Um, just because it really took me back to the Scream universe of the 90s. And they actually used some of the same music from the original movie as well. So a lot of like the wide shots of them like showing the college campus and then like the group of like young adults walking through and talking about murder. I was like, oh, this is like a Scream movie that I haven't seen before. And it felt like a little treat that I was giving myself watching it. Yeah, it definitely wasn't as serious as the first one. But I mean, you know, it reminds me, I mean, I love any movie pretty any much any horror movie made in the 90s so um i'm like chris but chris is in the 80s i'm in the 90s <laughs> I'm, I'm on the same page all right so we know what challenge is coming next yes exactly <laughs> and um i don't know if anyone's seen ready player one recently but like that movie is filled with a whole bunch of like i guess they're called easter eggs which one time i at one point i thought was an actual egg oh. in that you had to find in the movies i was like i don't see any eggs <laughs> one point recently like since ryan and mac have been on the show oh so if we're making a movie we're gonna put literal easter eggs in it please do just <laughs> so that's what this movie reminds me of it's filled with so much nostalgia and like so much stuff like from the 90s that it was just like every time i turned there was just like a reference a reference a reference which kind of a little bit took me out of the story a little bit but then i realized i'm like it's very service level compared to the first one a little bit but yeah it was a really good ride for me i to add to that i think this movie made me realize that like chris's 80 slashers i am I mean, I don't know what genre to call it, but I am 90s horror. Like, that's All my right. spot. That's where I like to be. Let's do it. Like, I'm just, I was looking up some, I'm like, because sometimes I have a hard time identifying where things lie in a calendar. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> The Faculty, The Ring was like the scariest movie I've ever seen in my whole life. The, movies like that, they're just so great. It's like, it's what I love. And it's this enough disconnect but not so much like in like 70s and 80s movies. Like there's a little bit, like it's clearly not the same time that we're in now, but it's a time I can still connect to. Is it like so, I lived through this, but it's still far away? Exactly. Same. Yeah. I was born in 94, so I didn't live through much of it. Oh my God. I mean, I, I was there, but I didn't do anything. I didn't have anything to do with it. So <laughs> I can't really claim that, but I just, it's like you can... I don't know. It's it's I, just my spot. I think it's like a, you know, Chris is like a campfire can, let's go out. And we're more like, let's go back to high school. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we love those. Also, you must love Bring It On. This is exactly right. I like Bring It On. Not a horror well, movie. But. Hey, yeah. I love Bring It On too. All right. So looking back, I think this is one of those things where if you watched it when it came out in theaters, right? So Alexis, you and I were like seven or eight years old, right? This is coming out two years before Columbine, which is a couple years before 9-11. So when you watch this movie, it's like Scream is just like this crazy little time capsule of how wild people were in a meta way before two incredibly historic, defining moments for our country and our society and the way we approach things, not only in media, but in the security of our everyday lives, right? So you look at this, you know, this movie opens up with a movie in a movie. They're in a movie theater. In the 80s, we had Tom Hanks in He Knows You're Alone. That movie theater was nice and chill. 
same movie theater in the 90s referencing that movie. People were all crazy going around with masks, fake knives. You can't wear a mask in a movie theater anymore. Oh, God, no. no. Absolutely not. So it's crazy to look back on this moment through that lens and know that, man, life used to be that way and it will never be that way again. Uh, But when you're looking at this movie and maybe it was just the experience of the feelings that inspired for you, what surprised you guys? I think I was actually surprised by that, like the way this movie comes in and it's a completely different scene than anything you'll see in a movie theater now kind of sets the tone for the whole movie. And it's it's like it's a time that I'd like to go back to where I feel like things are a little bit lighter. And I'm sure that every person ever has felt that way, that the times before them were easier and, you know, less stressful things happening and stuff like that. But like we've had a lot of things happen, you know like there's been shootings in a movie theater. So now like something like this carries a lot more weight. And I really didn't expect to come into this movie and feel the way I felt and be like, oh, wait, this is like a completely different time, especially being that we're kind of, you know, stuck in the house right now. It's everything is kind of like in your face, like this is different. And this is, I did not expect to go into this and see such a different feeling in this movie. I love that. It's, it's different, right? So Columbine, different. 9-11, different. Is this, looking back, like 20 years from now, are we going to watch a movie and say, man, that was pre-coronavirus? Ooh. We're going to have emptier movie theaters. We're not going to be that close again. Maybe, but also, were movie theaters ever like this? This this is a, this is a, this is dramatic, right? Can confirm it was like that when I went to go see The Phantom Menace in 1999. They gave out costumes. No, but people did dress up as Star Wars characters, and they were buck wild in the movie. Okay, I get that. Like, there's opening s- night, yeah. Yeah, there's still some level of, like, dramatization here. But, of course, that's a movie. That's what they do. Also, I felt like it was gremlins in the in the whole thing. Like, everyone just cheering and throwing popcorn and running around. I was like, <laughs> this is totally when all the gremlins were uh, watching a movie. <laughs> Arguably would have been a better scene. <laughs> I found it surprising how... I mean, back then, we didn't have the kind of Avengers template going on, yet this was obviously part of the Scream Cinematic Universe. It was like so planned out that this was going to be a series of movies, and I think their planning paid off. I mean, obviously, how many Screams were there? Four, and then there was uh, two seasons of one version of the TV show, and mm-hmm. then another season of a different TV show, but very different. Yeah, so I mean, this was, you know, starting out in the in the late 90s this huge spanning series of movies that I think did pretty well, which, I mean, when was the last time we had that was like going from the eighties into the early nineties, maybe with some, some of like Friday the 13th movies and stuff. So uh, I think it's, it's pretty impressive how they were able to, you know, figure out which character they wanted to kind of latch onto and the rules of the movies, which I absolutely loved, you know, in the screen movies, you have to have the, the movies, this horror movies rules that you know you have to follow in order to stay alive, which they try to they try to stick with. I feel like what surprised me was that they did it in the first one, and they're doing it in the second one. But I don't feel like it's repetitive, and I think it's cool because they're using the first one as a reference. <laughs> it's so meta. It is. It's intense. Yeah. So I was surprised like it wasn't overdone for me. Yeah, it's definitely still self-referential. Um, but I think the reason that it didn't come off as being repetitive is because this time they were more referencing the concept of a sequel within the sequel. Um, but the thing that really surprised me the most, and I think this is usually the thing that surprises me, is all of the celebrities that are in this movie. 
Okay. Did you feel like you were watching Scooby-Doo for a few minutes? And I know it's actually only <laughs> one character, but the first one also has Scooby-Doo characters. Why is there so many Scooby-Doo people in this one movie? Because of the mystery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but also because Scooby-Doo demands a particular caliber of talent that Scream also demands. Agree. Sarah Michelle Gellar being in this, like, had my jaw on the floor because I was not expecting her. And I miss her. So much. Like, what is she doing right now, Sarah Michelle Gellar? Please work again. Let us know what you need from us because we want to support you in your career. But you also had, like, Tori Spelling and, like, Luke Wilson and Jada Pinkett Smith and so many people, like Jerry O'Connell, so many celebrities that are really big names now or have had large careers since this movie. So like every other scene, they just like introduced a new famous person. And I was like, oh, they're in this too? Dude, (laughs) Paris, you're so right. Jada at the beginning of this movie is literally what pulled me in in the beginning. Like I kind of went in, not sure if I had seen it, anything like that. And then she started and I was like, "Mm, yep, I'm in for this. And (laughs) man, um, my favorite quote from her is, I got my money, ask for your money. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And then Courtney Cox, First off, that girl is fine, okay? like Never looked better. Her highlights were horrible in this movie, I will say. <laughs> and she was still a dime. Yeah, in that bad wig. Yeah. Monica's always kind of like, meh, whatever. But in this movie, when she references Jennifer Aniston's body, it's just yes. like the greatest moment. I had to look it up and make sure it was post-Friends. Oh, so good. Courtney Cox and this is great. Or like the uh, nice little David Schwimmer Easter egg hidden in there. Oh, can you explain? When Randy is having the conversation about the sequels with Dewey, uh, Randy reveals that Dewey is portrayed by David Schwimmer in the Stab movie. Oh, man, I didn't even realize that. I missed that Easter egg. Man, got to rewatch right now. Do right, it. right, let me go get the TV. I sent you the list. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you 100%, Ryan. Jada's performance in the beginning is one of those things that kind of leveled the playing field because you had kind of had like this lack of representation in the first scream, right? So she is there to say what everyone else is thinking and then break all those rules for the sequel in an incredible way. I will say one of the things that um, I found really interesting looking back on was how morbid this uh, studio's marketing is to be making a movie after those murders very quickly and then also be giving away costumes. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Has anyone ever been that excited for like a true crime documentary that they dressed up like the villain? <laughs> I can't imagine one so soon. Like, oh, I think all the most of the true crime that crime that we enjoy now is all like quite a bit removed. People will be dressing up like the lady from uh, Tiger King, though. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yep. <laughs> Carol fucking Baskin. Yep, Joe Exotic is is also going to make an appearance this Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm hoping Netflix puts something out after this because we're going to be quarantined forever. So there's a lot of time before Halloween. (laughs) Give us a follow-up. Give us something better. Something juicier. (laughs) Crazier. So as we know, the second edition of Scream does some really interesting things with taking on the sequel. And it actually breaks down the set of rules, right? So the death total is going to be greater. Uh, the The murder scenes are going to be more elaborate, more gore, more carnage, carnage candy, as Randy likes to likes to say. And at no point should you ever assume the killer is dead. When you look at those rules for a sequel, right? And you look at this movie, how it portrayed it, do you feel like it kind of flipped it on its head a little bit, sub- subverted those expectations? For sure, I think. Um, I can't recall the body count in the first one, but it seems relatively comparable because I know they were talking about who they killed in the first one versus who they killed the second one. So I feel like it was a little bit comparable. I feel like they kind of stuck to that script, actually. Like the 
kills and death scenes were definitely more dramatic and maybe gratuitous at times compared to the first one. And then without too many spoilers, I think they were very self-aware about like never assume the killer's dead. I feel like they took that set of rules. They said, this is the set of rules that sequels follow. And here we are doing just that and maybe even amplifying it a little bit. What do you guys think? I don't know. I think the deaths were still the same. Like I, to me, like I'm thinking of it and I'm just like, you know, there's nothing that stands out, but maybe I'm just, you know. So nothing gives you that same Casey Becker hanging from a tree with her intestines popped out kind of feeling. So this movie definitely does play with the rules of being a sequel. And even then, it still makes some surprising twists and turns. This movie famously uh, was going through rewrites as it was being made. Did you guys know that? Yeah, they leaked that script, though. Yeah, but Kevin Williamson also made dummy scripts in advance. They're just making secrets (laughs) on secrets on secrets, expecting leaks to still keep it hidden from everybody. Hmm. I'm um, not surprised that this was being rewritten as it was going. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I, I believe I believe that that's true. Yes, it is fact. <laughs> they, they were just practicing agile development, that's all. <laughs> but despite that, I think it still ties to the story together in a, in a very neat and tidy way. How did you guys feel about how things wrapped up? Whew. There's a lot in this ending. I think... It's a hot mess overall. That's how I felt. What? <laughs> the ending here is it's it's all over the place, which is not surprising because of the f- original movie. The ending is surprising in and of itself. But yeah, I, I wrote in my notes, this is such a hot mess ending. <laughs> and that's all I can say without spoiling it. Interesting. I, I found that it was a very fitting ending considering the material. You know, you just mentioned how meta it was. And I feel like this was... One of the most meta ways to end a sequel. Oh, it was on brand. Don't get me wrong. I didn't say it was out of place, but a hot mess nonetheless. I feel you, Ryan. I, I, this ending was elaborate, to say the least. Uh, part of the ending, I think, was really strong and one of my favorite parts. But other parts of the ending, I was like, eh, we could have really used a, a harder edit here. Um, so I was really torn on the ending because it was a lot. I loved it. but i think i loved it for what it was again uh referencing last week it is what it is and i love it (laughs) you're very accepting no judgment no no judgment anymore until we get a shitty movie and then i'm judging (laughs) so i i get what you're saying about it being a lot but i feel like it still organizes itself in a really neat way uh this is one of those where you look at the movies that came after this and they're all just trying to be Scream 2. They're all just trying to be Scream. Um, I, I feel like the explanation and the ex, and the, you know, the exposition that we get was more so found in like James Bond kind of villain movies where you have like a whole monologue by the villain as things are being revealed. You look at the decisions that were made in this movie about uh, who may or may not be the killer uh, and you look at the way things unfold and I feel like you can still see that thread tied throughout the whole movie. So there are nods to that every step of the way. And even though the script was being rewritten, Kevin Williamson still killed it and uh, kept it cohesive and consistent throughout the whole movie. Like You can't just watch the beginning and feel like you're watching a totally different movie at the end, which I applaud him for. It's got to be insanely tough to be in the middle of a production on a highly anticipated film and having to write pages literally on set as you're working. So, that being said, are you guys going to watch this again? Oh, hell yeah. 
will be where I start the series at Scream 1 and get to 2 and then possibly 3 <laughs> if life hasn't happened. But <laughs> you know what? I think, I'm, yeah, definitely. This is definitely a watch. Yeah, I think it'd be hard to say no. Again, this is like... Wow. I mean, again, it's it's another one where if it's on, I can't see why I wouldn't watch this. How much alcohol do you need to rewatch it? No alcohol required. <laughs> there you go. That's what you got to ask now. Yeah, that, that is the, the standard. You could watch this with people around, you know, like just hanging out, even people that maybe aren't really like into scary movies. This is like a chill watch. Like, I'm definitely not going to put this on by myself, but that's me. But I would watch this again for sure. Yeah, and other people can pick up on things you didn't pick up on. Very true. Which is really neat. And if they like Scooby-Doo, they might like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> or Broken Arrow or any other thing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> or Friends. <laughs> I would definitely watch this movie again. Um, I'm going to just add it to my catalog of things that if they're on, I will definitely leave them on and continue whatever I was doing initially. Um, for people who like Scream, it's just more quality Scream content. Uh, and it was just a lot of fun. I had a lot of just happy moments watching this movie because like the original, it didn't take itself too seriously, but it took itself just seriously enough to, if you really got into it, give you that feeling of like suspense and fear and times. Um, and I just thought it did that really successfully. I like to imagine that you just have a list you must consult whenever something comes on TV and you're actively doing something else. You up, gotta check the catalog and see if it passes your uh, passes your test there to stay on. This list definitely exists inside my mind. Oh God! I don't know. I don't. I don't think any of you have seen the uh, the great late '90s sci-fi show called Sliders, but it stars no. Jerry O'Connell. And he has a little machine that lets him uh, flip between alternate dimensions. He like jumps through a little portal and he slides to another dimension. So it's Earth, but like something about it's different. Whether you know, like another country is the more dominant country, or this is a planet in which the you know the Neanderthals are the ones that survived, or whatever it is. There's always something that's like slightly different about it, even though like there's another version of you on this planet. This is some Rick and Morty shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They stole it, but. <laughs> I would like to watch this as an episode of Sliders, pretending that Jerry O'Connell slid into this this universe and just see how it plays out. Jerry O'Connell slid into the wrong DMs, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about rewatching though, and it's on its own. Like I have so many more to watch, so many more screen properties to watch that I don't know the next time I'm gonna get around to this. The scream. Um, I'll I'll see what Chris thinks, but the scream um, series is not anything like this, in my opinion. Well, it's it's definitely not. Um, but good on its own in a very interesting yes. way. Mainly the first season, less so the second season. Um, they they still honor and kind of make nods to the scream franchise, but it's a totally different killer, totally different mask, totally different story. Interesting. Um, they bring back the mask for the latest season of Scream, but it's also a very different story. Has nothing to do with Scream itself. Can I, on that note, mention that my favorite thing about Scream is that it always looks like a costume from Party City. <laughs> like your Party City Scream costume is the same as the costume used in this movie and but, everybody. Oh, yeah. But don't tell me you weren't when I was when I was younger and trick or treating and everyone had this mask on. I was terrified. Oh, terrified. terrified, terrified, especially when they came out with the super cool technology where you could squeeze the little ball in your hand and the blood would cover the mask. That was when you were rich. You were rich when you had that one. Uh, I didn't see that. I saw the one with the blood and the knife. 
Like you squeeze yeah, exactly. Hand. Same same <laughs> concept. But yeah, it's I I was watching this movie and I was like, dude, the the mask and costume that they give out at the movie theater is probably the exact same thing that the character is wearing, and it's perfect. <laughs> it just works. Yep. I think this is something that I'll definitely watch. But Mac, look, I'm sorry, your boy with your sliders and he's doing his thing. I will fast forward almost any scene this guy is in. Uh, I don't fault the character. I was I always found him the most cringy part of this movie. Looking back on his adult, I probably shouldn't have felt that way, but I still do. I find him to appear obnoxious. I can agree with that, Chris. There were a couple scenes that he was heavily featured in that I was kind of like, this didn't need to be in here. Um, but I wasn't mad like you were because he was very nice on the eyes. And I didn't realize Jerry O'Connell used to be so <laughs> handsome. I thought he was weird looking. Used to be? I mean, right now, I don't really... He's not on my radar in yeah, that kind of way. he's also like 50 now, so... Right, but he used to have like gorgeous skin. He's like, uh, if somebody went to a surgeon and was like, I really want to look like a James Bond character oh, or wow. a James Bond <laughs> actor. And they just like went a little too far. That's what he looks like to me. Are but we all have tastes. Yeah, let's let's pull up a relatively recent photo of, of Jerry O'Connell. All right, he had little cheek fillers and, you know, little fillers around his eyes. Ain't that bad. I'm not saying that he has a lot of work done. I'm saying he's got some. He looks too much like he wants to be James Bond. And that's what turns me off. Interesting. All I think of is the music video of Mariah Carey's uh, Heartbreaker. Oh. Wait, was that Jerry O'Connell? Yeah. He's always the douche in every, like, movie in the 90s. Except this one, apparently. (laughs) He was kind of douchey. I mean, he was great in Stand By Me. Given that so many of you would rewatch this movie, I'm very curious to see where we get in our rankings. Now, before we actually score this movie, Alexis, how many people died? Ten. We got a solid ten on this one. Pretty high. But I'd like to see a little bit higher on a slasher. Ten isn't enough. She needs, is never she needs at least 20. <laughs> Come on, Ghostface, satisfy me. No, if they did 20, I feel like then I'd be like, okay, this is obnoxious. And Ryan, how many of those deaths were animals? Dude, we're good today. It's all it's all gravy. You can watch this movie and uh, you don't have to, you can, you can pet Fido next to you and not have any sad moments. <laughs> you may see really disturbing deaths, but at least you won't care about them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, now let's go ahead and start getting into our scores. Scream 2 from 1997. Was it a hack or was it a slash? It was a slash for me. Not surprising. I love the first one. I definitely even love the second one just just as much. I think it's just a fun ride. It's nice. It's I love to be able to watch a movie and like now like I watch things and I actually pay attention and pick up on things. I'm like, "Oh my god." An Easter egg, not a little east, not a literal Easter egg, but an Easter egg. And I think the more, especially what this podcast has done, um, every time I watch a movie, I think about all the sort of stuff. I'm introduced to new movies, and I think I'm able to see what influence other movies had had. And that's why I love this movie because I can see what they've picked from other ones, and I think it makes me just really excited. And you know, I just I I love it. I, too, am going to give this a slash, um, but I have to confess that it's not an objective slash. I have such a soft spot in my heart for Scream. I don't know that I can judge this movie objectively. It's it's just something that I love, and it's hard for me to turn this on. I mean, we start with such a good scene that it's hard to get taken out of this movie, 
and then you're just in it. And if you have ever seen the first Scream, I mean, I'm sh- I know there are people that don't like it, but it really is a good movie and a good watch. And so when you come into this one, it, there is a bit of like nostalgia. Now, obviously, I didn't see them when they first came out, both of them consecutively. Um, so that might be another thing that adds to it for me. So I, I, I don't know that I can say every person will like this, but it's such a fun, scary movie. Like, it's great to watch and it's good to be a part of. And like, I was so excited to watch this movie this week, which does not always happen. Nice. I'm going to give it a slash and not just because of, you know, Portia de Rossi being in it, but uh, I feel like it really? was- you know, well, Sorry. Come on. She's great. She looks like trailer trash in this. Wow. I'm going to be quite frank. I did not connect her to this movie. Like logistically, I knew she was credited, but looking at Ellen's wife and looking at this movie, I just never saw it. <laughs> really? <laughs> So, I mean, you didn't notice it when we when we got over to the sorority girls? <gasps> I was so distracted by the girl from Jawbreaker. Who was also the girl from Urban Legend. Wow. <laughs> How many movies have we referenced? I know. Can we, can we go for more? Is this a drinking game? No, it's 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 a fitting sequel. I don't think it's Scream 1, but I think it's a fitting sequel, and it, uh, and mm-hmm. it, it did its job well. It's a good way to say it. Yeah. So, I actually really struggled with this one, you guys, um, mostly because I've spent more than a decade loving the original Scream movie and maybe two, three years loving Scream 4. Um, I feel like there was a large gap of time in between the two to give Scream 4 a position to be very fresh. And maybe it's because I watched them completely out of order, but there were so many things in Scream 2 that just brought me back to the original. So I had a really good time watching it. It was definitely an enjoyable movie, but I actually have to give it a hack and I feel really bad about this. Wow. If you feel bad about giving it a hack, that's because you want to give it a slash pair. So I'm not, I want to remind you how this works. Exactly. I really, the whole time I watched it, Chris, I wanted to give it a slash. I really did. I wanted, for me, the, the main reason it does not get a slash is because it obviously tried to do the sequel version of what a screen movie would be. And a lot of the things they did to do that weren't necessarily the most effective, in my opinion. In particular, the ending the like around the three quarter mark of the movie i started kind of getting bored there was way too much focus on courtney cox and david arquette's relationship which i get it was referential to like what really happened on the set of the original movie but it had way too much uh, emphasis on that for my tastes and then a lot of the choices in the ending really fell flat for me but one of them was great paris I'm not mad at you for that. Same. I have to say, I think that if I didn't have the the fondness for the Scream franchise that I do, I'd be on the same page as you, Paris. So you're not the only one. I mean, you are technically right now the only one, but <laughs> don't feel bad. Okay. You're the only it one. It makes sense. <laughs> but for me, that same fondness is the reason I can't give it a slash because I just like hold the first one in too high regard. And this one was like, well, let's do it again, but more. And eh, it didn't really tickle my funny bone. I got to disagree with you there. This movie is 100% slash for me. It's a worthy successor to a self-aware gem. And, you know, we didn't know it then, but it foreshadowed a lot of what was to come for society. Not that that impacts the rating at all, but this movie stands the test of time so well. And that's what I think is special about Scream. Uh, Scream in particular is one of the only movie series for the 90s that you can look back and think, oh, that was a 90s thing, but it doesn't ruin the experience. Whereas, you know, like you guys have said before that you can't watch 70s movies a lot because you're like, can't get past the fact that it takes place in the 70s. Um, This movie ages so well and the story is written so well. 
despite all the rewrites, despite all the craziness. And I think when you look back and appreciate a lot of the little nuances and dialogue and the interactions between characters, it becomes even richer for that. Well, there you have it, folks. Scream 2 did not earn a universal slash, which is not how I was expecting this to go, but it's okay. It's okay. Paris has some good reasoning behind him. We'll unpack that more in the second half. Uh, This movie is available on Netflix. Don't worry about spending an extra $4 to rent it. You or someone you know already has access to it. So check it out. Join us in the second half. We'll see you in a bit. Coming soon to home video. A small town is rocked by vicious murders perpetrated by masked killers. The Woodsboro Murders, Mask of a Murderer, True Crime Told by an Actual Eyewitness. Based on the best-selling true crime novel by Gail Weathers. Directed by Gail Weathers. Produced by Gail Weathers. Starring Gail Weathers. With special appearances by Gail Weathers. Alright, welcome back. Scream 2 from the year 1997 somehow did not get a universal slash we have four slashes one hack and we're going to unpack exactly why that is in just a moment but before we do alexis the gore score all right so it's a slasher it's a 90 slasher so you're going to get your typical slash blood slit throat you're going to get all of that really good stuff um i hate the sound effects in this movie just because it's just the crunching of all of the bones in this movie I have to admit, my favorite scene ever in this movie and kill would be Jada Pinkett Smith's character. Of course. (laughs) Pretty iconic. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's literally the killing inside of the killing, if that makes sense. So you're like, okay, all this is going on. She's being killed. No one's noticing her. And it's just freaking amazing. It's freaking amazing. With Idris Eves' I don't think it ever gets you, at least in my point, to the killer, though. I was never like, okay, this person had to be the killer. You know, normally in, as kills go on in movies, you're like, okay, if it's a whodunit, you're like, okay, I've kind of picked up on who it is now. With this movie, I still was clueless. You can for sure see the killer's eyes after one mm-hmm. of the last few deaths. Like, really clearly. Yeah, In the car, right? Yes. Yeah, you can see right through the mask. Wait, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, and then you knew who exactly who it was? No, I'm just saying you can see you can see their face through the mask after that kill. I was like fully kept guessing the whole time. In my head, um, you know, we're all like trapped in the house, a lot of people playing a lot of board games and stuff. And I was like, why play Clue? Oh my God. When we're... you can just watch this movie. Uh. Like, it's ridiculous the amount of people that they like try to make you think might be the person. Oh yeah. I think me and Mac often talk about like trying to figure out who it is before the end or like trying to predict what's going to happen. I was in this and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give up here because I have no idea. And you guys want me to think it's everyone. And I have yes. no idea who it is. Okay. So real, real honest question. Did you guys get your prediction right? No, I gave up. I was wrong. I don't. I. I was like, I don't understand who it could be at this point. But that's like what Scream does is at like throw point? you off the whole time. <laughs> when did you give up? Never when the really. Died? I, I don't know. I never really had. I know, before that, when Dewey died, I was kind of yeah. set on it being Dewey. Honestly, I, I thought it was Dewey as well. But Dewey didn't even die. Oh well, when he didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> that part i'm actually also kind of set on it being him in the third one since he came out alive you know like dewey turns around he becomes a killer i haven't seen it but it sounds good to me i could see that 
He had that suspicious limp too, which they barely explained. <laughs> they don't have to explain. It was explained very clearly in Scream 1 when he got knifed in the back and severed a nerve. Uh, I honestly was convinced that David Arquette had something going on like with his own body and that's why he had a limp. <laughs> I found that to be more plausible. <laughs> I did think it was Dewey, um, but I also had a, a strong feeling that it might have been Joel, the camera guy. Oh yeah, that would have been good too. Interesting. I thought that would have been like a really good approach because a lot of like the racial stuff that was discussed by Jada Pinkett's character in the in the beginning could have lent itself to like it being like a black character as the killer and being like hey this is why i'm doing this like many reasons could have been explained but uh it turns out it wasn't him i i did not try to figure out what the motive was going to be because in the first one they let you know that like oh motive's not important while they're explaining their motives but um when we got to that point i was like oh this is such a scream like ending here with who they're choosing to be the killer definitely and so true they could have picked anybody i'm glad they didn't pick the boyfriend because they already they already did that and that would have been super boring had they done it twice in a row yeah exactly it's like this girl's never gonna be able to trust anyone <laughs> i mean still maybe never gonna be able to well, trust yeah. anyone <laughs> exactly. honestly Pro- probably she shouldn't yeah <laughs> but i kind of feel like when you see timothy oliphant in a movie you have to be like that guy's probably the killer because he was Hitman. I absolutely loved him in this movie. I don't know if I've seen him in something I didn't like him in. What is he in? Santa Clarita Diet. That's what I know him from. Santa Clarita Diet. The Crazies. Mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, I don't watch any of those things. Live Free or Die Hard. Or die hard. Anything yeah. Oscar worthy, I don't watch. I just watch B-horror. <laughs> <laughs> Santa Clarita Diet is definitely a Netflix show with Drew Barrymore, in which she's a zombie, so... It's a dark comedy. It's really good. Gone in 60 seconds. Come on. Classics. It is kind of fun that Drew Barrymore is in is in that show Nicholas with Cage. Timothy Oliphant and they were both in screen movies. That's kind of fun. Interesting. I thought something was up with uh Gail number 2, but <laughs> which is what I called her to. But I was just like mm, I can't remember. Like I can't remember was she was a killer because she wanted some notoriety or did she, I, I really didn't think that was it. But then when everyone else is being thrown at it towards the end, I was like, well, damn, this person, no, this person. And then I was just like, you know, what? I'm just going to watch the movie and not try to figure it out. Unlike <laughs> Mac over here. I couldn't forget that she was a killer. I think I, was, I watched this at a time when I was too young to be able to really form a prediction by any means. Like I was just like, oh, it's really some mass killer. Maybe she doesn't actually know any of them (laughs) but looking at it this time it's so funny to see how many threads lead to that moment like when you look back at the preview clip of stab when it's luke wilson and he's like it's a whole scene about the mom and the fact that the mom is still out there somewhere and then you think oh i wonder i wonder i do wonder what happened to his mom and what does she think of all this plot twist she wasn't happy (laughs) i mean the first in the first movie they did make a you know friday the 13th reference in Drew Barrymore's, you know, scene. She got that question wrong. So I'm kind of sad we missed out on on Fred the janitor in this movie. Yeah? You didn't appreciate the sweater reference in the dorm room, though? They took my breath away with that. Mm. And I'm surprised, Ryan. Did you notice that? It wasn't a, like, 100% like ripoff of Freddy's sweater, but it definitely was Freddy-ish hanging. No, I didn't notice. <gasps> That's formal brunch Freddy attire. Oh, yeah. I'll have to Freddy. go back. Since it's free on Netflix, I can go back and look through it again. Sorority Freddy. Yeah, hipster Freddy. Sorority Freddy with an eye and the heart over the eye. It's, uh, the, <laughs> it's the prequel oh to God. Freddy Krueger, actually. Yep. <laughs> oh my God, stop. Really, it's just a documentary looking back on Ryan's college experience. 
<laughs> this is not my college experience, thank God. She's currently living it in quarantine right now. <laughs> the kill that hurt the most was Randy. The kill that hurt second most was Cece, because I really wanted Sarah Michelle Gellar to last longer than she did in this movie. But then the cop at the end, when the pole goes through his head and impales the entire car, that was so disgusting. And I feel like it was the most vicious kill I had seen in that movie. It was pretty intense. I feel like his head got squished at the same time, didn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally squished. That was just an obliteration of that dude's brain matter. You just like see his ear poking through the glass in a very weird way. Sorry, we just came off cabin fever. So I'm like, oh, people's head getting smashed. Not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I want you to watch The Curb Stomp from Halloween 2018 and let me know how you feel about that now. Oh. There we go. <laughs> so my favorite death is similar to Alexis at the beginning when Omar Epps gets stabbed in the ear through the bathroom door. It's like, you know, it's coming the whole time. It's the perfect way to set the scene for this movie. And it's still still unexpected, right? Like, that's not how you expect somebody to die is a stab through the ear. And I've been watching a lot of um, zombie-adjacent films lately and or TV shows. And I'm always thinking about, like, brain traumas because that's how you kill zombies, you know, to the head. And I was like, man, he's going to be gone right away. That sucks. <laughs> Would it really be that right away? Like, there's no, like, moment of consciousness after that? I mean, I guess it depends where you get stabbed, but it's definitely not going to be life. You're not going to save your life there. It's going to be real tough. Bingo. Wait, were you expecting this because you had seen Scary Movie first? Mm-hmm. No. Who did it better, though? I survived the purity of like not ever having seen a single Scary Movie movie. It's probably for the best for you, Chris. Still to this day? Still to this day. Oh, you have to just watch the first one. Oh, God, they're so good. I don't need to laugh. I have funny friends. No, I, you guys know, I purge everything from my memory. So like, I know I've seen Scary Movie, but it's not like it's like in there. So I didn't think about it. And he got this knife to the ear and I was like, oh, and it just starts this movie up. Perfect. It was Scary Movie though. I'm going to tell you. (laughs) You definitely want Scary Movie. I've seen it, but I wasn't thinking about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, I get him intertwined. I really love that kill because it's like an homage to um, Black Christmas 1974 when he's leaning in and it's something that I can never understand what that person was whispering, you know, when I saw it the first time, but with captions on, thank you, Netflix said, listen, mommy, I did it. I'm telling you, I did it. Oh, It's just so creepy. It just reminds me of the Billy phone calls from the original Black Christmas, but then the knife through the bathroom stall, we didn't get that with Jada Pinkett. But we did get that with Omar Epps with He Knows You're Alone when the killer originally kills that first girl in the beginning with the knife to the back of the chair. It was a very satisfying opening for me. It was great. Very good. Two great kills so far. Paris, what was yours? I mean, with regards to that one, I was a little bit like my suspension of disbelief was pushed to the limit thinking that you could stab a knife through a bathroom stall. But I was like, well, we'll go with it. Okay. It was 1997. Anything can penetrate anything with enough force. <laughs> uh, don't know if that's a, that's what she said joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1997 Paris. Everything is like a little more flimsy back in the day. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll allow it. Um, but my favorite death definitely had to be Sarah Michelle Gellar's. Um, there's nothing more classic to me than just like a dumb, hot bitch, like running through a house, making bad choices, trying to escape a killer. <laughs> to me, that's just like always going to be good content. And Sarah Michelle Gellar fully delivered on that, like running up the stairs when that was clearly not a good option 
at, like in my mind, like you set that alarm, like you should break a window, do anything to trigger that alarm. But she's like, no, I'm going to run up the stairs and throw a bicycle down at him. I just loved it. <laughs> Two things. One, you use that word very intentionally. It's not derogatory here. It's intentional for the type of kill that happens. Yes. And two, how much did you appreciate your cell phone when you were watching this scene and she's on the house phone trying to stay in so she can get reception, but also trying to leave? I was like, ooh, the 90s, you were a time. <laughs> <laughs> See, I found her to be one of the more intelligent characters in this movie so i definitely know you're not saying it in a derogatory way but i love that she was like her immediate reaction was like nope i'm gonna get out nope i'm gonna get out i mean the killer is down there on the first floor and when you panic you panic man i don't blame her like yeah laurie strode also ascended to the top floor and went to the balcony in the original halloween like i don't give a shit i care about the first decision that you make when your head is semi-clear anything after that who are we to judge yeah. That's fair. I definitely use the term dumb bitch with endearment. I identify with most dumb bitches in these movies. They're like my people. <laughs> if you look at any of my social media feeds, it's just the musings of a stupid bitch, you know? We all have those moments. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that they gave her like enough, like a little bit of a buildup when she was in the classroom and she was like really contributing to the conversation. Like she obviously wasn't an unintelligent person. Um, and for me, that actually was a little bit better than the Drew Barrymore kill, which I think they're very similar, the two of those, just because it's like a girl alone in a house gets the phone call. Um, but I liked more that they gave Sarah Michelle Gellar a little bit of like life before they killed her off, as opposed to just like, hey, here's Drew Barrymore in a house. Watch this happen to her. But that's still one of the greatest scenes of all time. So I'm not mad at that one either. Yeah. Chris, you uh, like that whole entire scene. I had so many Halloween vibes. Just yes. seeing, like, oh gosh, I was like, am I watching Halloween or am I watching Spring? Yeah, honestly, if you were in this movie, you couldn't swing a cat and let it go and not hit a Halloween reference, realistically. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to say that. <laughs> I think my favorite was Randy because it was broad daylight. And that's, that's always awkward in a horror movie. For it to be broad daylight. That is true. It's unsuspecting. Yeah, I think it just makes it really eerie because you don't, you can't feel safe even in daylight, even in the middle of everyone. Yeah, and then the when the footage comes up at the end, it's like, man, that's so creepy. But I have to say, yeah. if they hadn't showed his body for a second, I would have thought that he was uh, faked his death and he's in on it. Because mm. oh, because it could be anyone. Dun, dun, dun. Poor Jamie Kennedy. The kills in this are definitely some of the best that I think we see in the Scream franchise. Obviously, the original excluded. You know, I did miss Rose McGowan in a garage door, but that's okay. There are a few more standout moments, and I think that just is a testament to how well this story is built. But I know, Paris, you had some faults with this movie. Why did this get a, sl a hack from you? Uh, so it was a lot of small things, and then a big thing at the end like you guys were talking about the the kill with the cops in the car like the whole scene of them climbing over the killer's body to me was very dumb what else would they do write that scene differently so that it's not the situation <laughs> so the door opens, that's why <laughs> yeah i was like this is too much i thought doors opening was a gimmick until i got into a car accident and could not open my door that looked to be perfectly fine because of the frame shifting i that made total sense to me i'm okay with that very true. But to Paris's point, to crawl over a body and to be Sydney in this situation and been here before 
And to not pull the mask off was so infuriating. Oh, yeah. It's this like movie drama moment that makes no sense. And it's absolutely infuriating to watch a movie and watch somebody not pull a mask off of somebody that they clearly need to know who it is. And she knows what's going to happen. Why did they run away from the car before they got to the point of wanting to figure out who it was? It was ridiculous. That'd be the first thing I did. She wanted to pull it off. And then, I mean, I honestly don't blame her. Like, the friend was crazy. The friend should not have you know, intervened in pulling off the mask at all. But I get why Sydney paused because the friend is asking her to, like, I think if Sydney was alone in that moment, she would have done it. But she also has to make sure that her friend gets out of the car. Because while Sydney may be able to squirm out, if that guy wakes up or if that woman wakes up, whatever, Punch then him. yeah, they're screwed. So two things. Don't you think it would be easier to climb over a person if you could see their face and know if they were going to, like, move? And then two... <laughs> yep still don't walk away from the car once you guys both get out it's a ridiculous moment know that i want the risk of taking the mask off without being 100 percent sure like how fat like how tight is it it is on them and then wanting to Mm. wake them up so you walk away from the car no you pummel them in the throat if you think something anything get back up (laughs) do something keep punching yeah it's dumb and then literally she walks away and she's like oh i can't call the police as soon as i do he'll be gone and it's exactly what happened and it's just like oh that was great foreshadowing five seconds ago thank you and i love what the best friend said she's like dumb people go back to the car and smart people run away we're smart people let's get out of here and she's like "Mm, no this is going to be better as a plot device or just like a a tease i guess (laughs) that plus all of david arquette's acting was very bad to me what? It looked like but it was bad in number one so what did you expect no this was my favorite dewey Oh, come on. He looked like he was passing a kidney stone every time the camera was on his face. (laughs) That's his face. Leave him alone. Yeah, I guess I just don't like his face. (laughs) And then all of the scenes where they like focused on him and Courtney Cox, Arquette, I was like, this is cute as like a one scene nod. But that whole like long drawn out montage where they're playing like that Western music while they like run around looking for a VCR. I was like, okay, this is truly dragging on. (laughs) And with very little payoff because nobody even died of the two of them. And then the last thing that just flopped for me was the ending. The initial reveal of it being the classmate, whose name I don't remember at all, because he was given maybe two scenes before turning out to be the killer. There wasn't enough development into that character for me to be like, oh, it could have been him. I was like, well, he was just kind of like the uh, Randy of the second movie. So sure, maybe, okay, it can be him. Um, and then they they teased with like it being the boyfriend as well. And I was like, eh, I really hope that's not true, which it turned out not to be. Was that not an intense scene for you, though? Uh, It was a really conflicting scene because initially I was like, oh, this is a bad way to end this movie with him as the killer. That's stupid. It wasn't like any of the top five people I thought it could have been that would have been better. For a while, I actually thought it was the two main sorority girls and they were doing it like as part of some kind of like hazing. And I thought that would have been really fun. (laughs) Um, But then when they revealed that it was Laurie Metcalf and she was the mom, I was like, okay, I like this direction that it's going in. I like that as a choice because that's a character we haven't heard anything of. She's been here all along, so it's perfectly plausible that she could be the killer. But then she's like, yeah, we met online and he's a serial killer. So I just like got him as part of my plan. That whole spiel about meeting online, meeting on the internet, and there being 97 serial killers in the country or whatever. Oh my God, that was so bad. Like so cringy. And then just like, the length of that altercation on that stage was just too long. It was like, how many people can we have in this standoff? Like they're like, Oh, now Courtney Cox is here. And then also cotton's here. And like, it was just too much. It did the most. (laughs) I also loved it. 
Also, when she starts making affair allegations about Sydney's mother, is that something that I missed from the first one? Yeah, that happened in the first one. Okay, okay. Because when I look, you that guys, was the motivation of the killer in okay. the first one. Because I I purged things from my brain, and I was like, what is she talking about? Well, but the whole scene where they're like fighting on the stage, like first when she's like trapped by all of the scenery, I was like, okay, move upstage and get off the stage. Like you're not actually <laughs> trapped here. Die. Um, and then just like the, it just kept like, it felt like they were trying to one up themselves with every new reveal and new like piece of information. Like, oh, this one's not dead, but now this one's here and this one's not dead. And now over here, these like, I guess real stone blocks that they're using as props are going to fall on somebody and kill them, even though those should not be real stones. Yes. If you've ever been on a, a theater set in a school, it's nothing that will kill you. Well, there are things, but she's like running around backstage, like cutting lights and like making shit fall on Lori Metcalf. And then she like takes a moment to shake that thunder thing just for like the effect of it. It really just like <laughs> took me out of the severity of that scene. That's part of what this movie does, though. It is a comedy. Yes, I completely agree with you. But it is unfortunately what you get when you sign up for a screen movie. I don't think it was done perfectly, but it, it's that's what you expect. Like when they go off on these tangents and all these different people come into it and it's all very dramatic. That's what we get. That's what we love. There was nothing in the original ending that had me like laughing at the stupidity of it, you know? Wait, what? The ending in the first movie was so intense for me, and it still is. Stu was not stupid to you? Okay, first of all, Stu's acting compared to this guy's acting, no comparison at all. You could tell that he was trying to do a Stu with this performance that he gave, which for having a character with no development seemed really out of the blue. I don't know about that. Stu ha- bleeding on the phone saying, my mom's going to kill me. Oh, I love that. That was so real. There were uh, several things in that movie that were goofy as fuck. Amazing. But they felt sincere. But this movie also continues that thread. Can I just say, like, the two-hour time frame of this movie is a little long. I feel like Alexa should agree with me. She likes an hour and a half here. Well, I'm Did a you- little biased because I had to work during the quarantine, so... So you're down for a long movie? So I was doing... I was <laughs> multitasking during this. But I, at one point, checked out a little bit, and it was where Paris was discussing, like, the whole, like, David Arquette and Courtney Cox sort of, yeah. like, shenanigans. And so I'm like, okay, this isn't important to the plot. Let's keep going. Yeah, I feel like there's, like, maybe, like, 15 minutes that could have been easily cut from this. It just felt a little long. Like, I want Scream to be a quick, fun watch. Ryan, are you thinking about the scene where he gets up on the table and sings to her? Because that could have been done without completely... <laughs> I mean, just so much of it, like him defending himself, him like saying, like, maybe I just play dumb on purpose. And then the the only thing I did like is like the projection when they had the VHS on and then it started playing like the other footage. That was a part that I did enjoy, but it didn't need to be in the context that it was. Ugh. See, I love the arc that we get for Deputy Dewey and uh, Fairweather Gale. <laughs> I really I love that. And I love that. You know, we get to see Dewey not being so dim-witted, and we see that Dewey has feelings, and we see that Gale, you know, Dewey and Gale didn't have the happy ending it seemed like they might have had. She might not have been as good of a person. This movie is a big old redemption arc for her. This was my favorite Dewey, and it might have been my favorite Gale. I have to refresh myself on Scream 3 to really make that determination. I just remember her having terrible bangs in Scream 3. (laughs) 
I guess one last thing with the ending. She literally smacks him in the face with a necklace and then he goes flying. Yes. They kept showing it and I was like, I don't know why they're showing this necklace because that's not a weapon. And yeah, then, I was like, is she going to choke him? What? Yeah, that was, that was rough. So the ending for me, I felt like was a fitting scream ending, you know, especially compared to the first where we learned that like, we're going to learn about their, their motive and it, but it doesn't like need to make sense. And this one completely made no sense to me for the motive, <laughs> at, at least behind um, Timothy Oliphant's character. I think for, you know, the Pamela Voorhees here, it, it worked for me. Like that was cool to have that thrown in there, uh, especially because she seems like it's obviously she's at, she's out of place. The second you see her in this movie and her character is like really weird and random. Agreed. So yeah. you're like, something's up there from the, like the moment we meet her. So that was great that she turned out to be one of the killers. But I don't know. I, the, the stage effects we were we were laughing at while watching it. It's like okay, that's that's silly. Like that styrofoam, just like get off the stage, etc. But I feel like that kind of lent itself to the comedy of the movie a, a little bit. But I heard there was like alternate endings or like sh- endings that they had shown where there was another ghost face like in the campus, and I would have preferred to see that in this version. And I would like something like that too. Like I would like, you know, I think it's scream is a perfect like movie, like that you can actually go ahead and like throw something really random in and people aren't like, well, that didn't make sense. Well, guess what? It doesn't really need to make sense. It's <laughs> Hear okay. Me out. Hear me out. College cult of ghost faces. Oh yeah. I love that. Yep. Could totally see it. I'm down. I mean, don't get me wrong. Laurie Metcalf gave a really good performance as the killer. Uh, and her her motivation made a lot of sense to me. But there were just two. It could have. There was a lot of fat in that scene that could have been trimmed to make it a more satisfying ending. But no one likes the jumbleness of the beginning, like the of, or, or like the explanation of it. I don't know. I like wholeheartedly when you get an ending. And some, I, I have to admit, like sometimes there are where I'm like, okay, I don't need the entire explanation. But this one, like, I would have totally been fine with like giving me a little bit of backstory on why you're here and what you're doing, what you're doing. I would have been happier if Mickey wasn't Mickey and it was just a random person that um, Mrs. Loomis had found to do the actual killing for yeah, her. Yeah, because he had no really intent or purpose. He yeah. had his crazy. It wasn't enough development yeah. for it to be somebody that we had met already, but yeah. we didn't know him. So I think a, a stranger would have made more sense there. It would have been cool if he was uh, the cousin of one of the killers yeah, you know, from the first movie. I honestly thought he looked a lot like Billy when he first showed him. That's because he was for sure channeling his inner Billy. Scream could easily do like what Clue did with that movie and just film multiple endings. And I'd watch all of them and probably enjoy them. <laughs> what stood out to you guys about visually about this movie? I'm going to be completely honest. And this is probably where I just leave my feelings just and let everyone else talk. But this movie is kind of like a... I don't know, visually it's like cut and dry sort of. Like it's a very like, it's not documentary style where you have it jumbled, but it's very like matter of fact. Simple. And I, yeah, and it's simple. And I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate that because it lets you see the facts for what it is and it lets you play this whodunit without giving clues in the context of the film, which I appreciate. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Um, I really like obviously watching the 90s in this movie like um courtney cox aside from her being real fine like just the thing she's wearing like a halter top suit dress like it's it's a whole there's a whole thing happening and it's it goes throughout all the characters and it's not like 
um so over the top like it maybe doesn't stand out to everyone like it's not like this is 90s style but it really it's like realistic and it's awesome so i don't think there's like a lot of really groundbreaking camera work and stuff like that but it, it's just really nice to watch this movie it's it's like you're there it's real great i i love the movie within the movie yes i think seeing the little recreation of the first screen was fantastic and they chose great actors to play in them I agree with that. Uh, I think the opening scene overall is just so beautiful, especially when you look at um, the the scene with the lighting of the projector hitting this big screen and Maureen is climbing up on top. And then you have this moment where everything just gets really serious, right? Like people are kind of confused or taking off their masks. What is what is that moment and how traumatic would that have been if you saw that? I absolutely loved it. My favorite visual element of the movie was sort of what you and Ryan were saying, Alexis. For me, uh, any movie that has a lot of women in it is really great in my book. And just the way that all of the women and female characters were styled from like their apparel to their hair to like the fact that at one point, uh, Gail is literally smoking a Virginia Slim, which is like so on brand for her as a character. That really brought me joy. Like specifically the scene where you see like the sorority girls walk up. The moment you see them walk up, you know exactly who those girls are. You know exactly what they're there to do. And just the way that it treated like fashion and like styling choices um, as a device to convey information about these characters that we are either being introduced to now or that we already know. I felt like that was super effective in this movie. Yeah, I love that about the 90s. I feel like you don't necessarily get that nowadays. People kind of dress now like how they want to, like however their mood is. Or like the 90s. (laughs) Or or like the 90s. The 90s are making a comeback. But yeah, no, I really appreciate that, how you get some of the subtle hints, even just what they're like, what they're wearing. I have a quick question for everybody, just like bringing this uh, movie into like your reality. So when Gail is in the sound room and Ghostface is outside and he can't get in, he's trying to break into the window and everything after <laughs> Dewey's already gone and all that. And then he leaves. How long would you have to stay in that room before you felt comfortable to walk out of it? Next day. Yeah. Next day. Easy. (laughs) I'm with Chris. Next day. (laughs) Same. I think I would not be able to leave that room until someone else came in and got me. I would pretend I wasn't in there and be like up against the wall. Yeah. I would Mm -hmm. need like three or four people or a couple officers. Like, because I'm not going to trust a single person. So true. So true. I was watching that. I was like, "Mm -mm, I ain't coming out. This is how I know I'm a dumb bitch because I feel like you got to strike while the iron's hot and get out immediately. Who are you? And then I'd probably get killed. Very true. <laughs> Talking mad trash about Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> <laughs> She's an icon. She was my favorite part of this movie. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> I do have a question. Yeah. So we have those two cops, right? Those two cops, Officer Richards, Officer Andrews. One of them might be gay. They have this funny little exchange in the car. But uh, we do know that one of them is a Capricorn and a Gemini. And Paris, I don't know, what would that do for their working relationship? Honestly, I am a Capricorn. Mac is a Gemini. We actually have three Capricorns on this team. Wow. (laughs) I didn't know that. I feel like it bodes well for their relationship. It's a good balance. And the moment I heard that, because I like to pretend astrology is real because it's fun. uh, The moment she like diagnosed their signs, I was like, oh, here we go. I'm going to see what these two fellas do and like see if it pans out. The Gemini dying immediately was pretty on brand. And then the Capricorn like fighting tooth and nail and like never really dying until being fully impaled. And even then just kind of like twitching a little bit. Uh, that was on brand as well. <laughs> I really appreciated that he still like wanted to fire his gun, but was still trying to tell them to get down so he wouldn't accidentally hit them and still put them before himself. That was commitment. We're very responsible signs. 
I would like to note that I don't condone this conversation at all. <laughs> I would like to say astrology is real, okay? Astrology is fun. It's it's as real as your dreams. If you make them real, I guess they're real. I don't know. I'm not really like a Capricorn. Chris is more a Capricorn than I am. You think so? Oh, hell yeah. I'm not headstrong. I'm just like, whatever. Yeah, but you are dark-sided. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can be. And I also am dating and living with another Capricorn. Bonus content. Paris is going to give us full analysis of our personalities. Please. I'll do your birth charts. Two Capricorns living with each other. Tell me about that. I will say, looking back, one of my favorite things about this movie is the moment when uh, we have Debbie Salt who is just you know speculating that, well, if they're trying to recreate Woodsboro, maybe the killer is from Woodsboro. And then the immediate scene, you have Mickey in the cafeteria trying to also deflect and cast doubt on other people. That was one of those things that I didn't appreciate when I first watched this movie. But again, the signs are there all along. No, I love that because you can definitely like, that's why this movie has so much rewatch value. Like you could just, I mean, I feel like I can watch this later on tonight and feel i'm not feel completely different like i'd still enjoy this movie but like literally see tens of different of things i hadn't seen before which is like like why this movie should get a slash and no hacks at all (laughs) but it's okay she's not mad (laughs) i do also want to make just take a second to acknowledge that this movie regardless of where it stands in your memories now this movie made some waves and it also isn't remembered for particularly great points. Uh, There was an actual murder where two young boys killed a woman and then subsequently blamed the Scream movies as part of that. Now, obviously, they had other issues going on there as well. So the dialogue that's created in this movie, which I don't know that was addressed so many times before, you know, Scream is a franchise that made its mark on does life imitate art or does art imitate life, right? Or is it a symbiotic relationship and how do those two things balance out? So I'd be curious to know uh, what our listeners think, right? We have some stuff to learn here in just a moment from Factor Fiction, but guys, the, the conversation about Scream is so big because of what it did for horror, the conversation can't possibly end here. Now, Mac, what information do you have for us? Information or fibs? Probably more fibs knowing Probably. him. Mostly Maybe. fibs. You never know with me. All right, number one, Tori Spelling was insulted by the reference to her in the original Scream as she was uh, turned down for the role of Sydney originally and demanded to be cast in the sequel. Fact, she seems petty like that. (laughs) (laughs) Fiction. I'm giving the exact same fact as Alexis. (laughs) I'm going to say fiction. You've made a good choice. It was fiction. I just made it up. Because it seems fun. <laughs> now I seem like a bitch. Thanks. Corey <laughs> <laughs> Spelling, I'm sorry. Good. Apologize. Number two. Sarah Michelle Geller and Jerry O'Connell could not stand each other and asked to be in as few scenes together as possible. Fact. He seems annoying. Yeah. I'm <laughs> going to say the same there. Fact. Same thing. That's a fiction. It is a fiction. They dated during shooting. Oh. Okay. I Gosh. hate you. Like right now. I just hate you. I actually thought that's where the question was going to go. But then I was like, eh, they both seem plausible. It was too obvious, Alexis. Number three. Jada Pinkett Smith sent Wes Craven a set of steak knives for Christmas after filming Scream 2. It's so tempting. Fact. Fiction. But probably a fact. I'm going to say fact because I've been siding with Alexis and it hasn't done me well. (laughs) Fact. (laughs) It is indeed a fact. I love it. Alexis's face right now. I wish you could see it over the airwaves. Number four, this movie shares two actors with Big Bang Theory. Never watched it. 
it's one of those things it's like friends never watched it don't care so um wow it is not it is not like friends you should apologize to courtney cox right now Courtney Cox, I'm sure you're a great person, but Friends is overrated. <laughs> it is overrated. I'm going to say fact. I'm going to say fact, but it feels wrong. Fiction. I'm going to say fiction just because I'm not too familiar with the show, but I don't think I saw any of the main characters. Oh, man. It's a fact. Laurie Metcalf and Jerry O'Connell, they play uh, Sheldon's mother and brother. Uh, I, thought oh. it was, I thought it was uh, our boy Cotton. I was wrong. Mm, good old Liv Schreiber. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was Jerry O'Connell. One of my faves from Sliders. Number five, Titanic's release. I'm sorry, the movie Titanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, its release was pushed back a week in anticipation of Scream 2's success since they were set to release on the same day. And no, fiction. Fiction. I'm going to say fiction. It's a fact. Oh, we're too cocky. It is a fact. Oh, my God. Oh, are you kidding me? Indeed. They were concerned that it was going to be so successful that it would, uh, you know, stomp on their business for Titanic. Was Titanic a big movie when it released? My mom dragged me to the theater to see it, and I fell asleep during the boob scene. <laughs> but I also think you underestimate how profitable Scream was. And yeah, they're probably. making part two less than a year. That's true. You make a good point, Chris. And thank you. That was fact or fiction. And once again, you screwed us. I don't know, man. I feel like his statements were a little bit more objective today than they have been in the past. You're getting better, Mac. They were random kicking shit in. is what they were. Thank you. They weren't objective. They were about people liking each other and being hurt. <laughs> their feelings being hurt. Give us real facts. Is this <laughs> E! News? <laughs> Wait, <Wait's laughs> Mac? This is a Snapchat channel. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Scream 2 from 1997 has uh, shed a lot of light on what life was like back in the 90s. It also set this tone for, you know, the way horror would continue in the years to come. There's a lot to say about this movie, a lot that we haven't even begun to cover here. So let's please keep the conversation going. Reach out to us. Uh, and there are so many different ways that you can reach out to us. First at our website, www.hackerslash.com. And our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also call us on the Hackerslash hotline, but please don't use your creepy voice. You can text us, call us, leave us a voicemail, or an audio message. Our number is 757-606-0128. And if you own a collection of ghost face masks, feel free to send us an email to feedback at hackerslash.com. We'll see you next time. Bye, Sydney. Bye, Sydney.